you'll see all the junk we stash behind the curtain. There is no word I know in this world that rhymes with curtain. I'm fairly certain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another uh, very exciting Behind the Curtain interview. Tonight, I am joined by the entire team of the of a new RPG that they are creating called the Vault RPG. Uh, it is a fascinating tabletop RPG, and I, I've been uh, lucky enough to actually get like a sneak peek at it. They sent me a little brief that kind of talks about the, the story and the lore, as well as show a little bit of the mechanics that they've been creating. Uh, I am very excited to have everybody on the show tonight. We have a team of five joining me, so this is definitely the most cast I've had on an on an interview. But I'm I'm very excited to have all of you here. Uh, I will let you guys introduce yourselves one by one. Uh, just let the audience know who you are, uh, what role you play on the team, as well as your favorite tabletop RPG. I think that'll be a great way to let the audience get to know you all. Uh, we will start with uh, Alex. Hi, uh, my name is Alex. As was just said, uh, I am in charge of the art direction and a lot of the sort of visual asset development for the game. Um, and, uh, we all wear a lot of hats here, but those are my two biggest. Uh, I think my favorite tabletop game has to be Pathfinder. It has a lot of Ooh. shortcomings, but I've always really liked the complexity of it. Amen. I enjoy a good game of Pathfinder, too. That's all we do on the show, so uh, props to you. <laughs> uh, next up? Hi, I'm Eric. Uh, nice to be on, Spencer. Um, I am a partner writer and sometimes editor um, for uh, Team Rex Games and Vault. My favorite game before we made Vault was uh, Dark Heresy. Uh, one of the fantasy flight ones from the old 40k Inquisitor set of uh, rules. Sounds very cool. I am a big fan of the 40k universe, as all my family can attest to. I have talked uh, many an ear off about the 40k lore, and the the Inquisition is definitely my favorite uh, faction to uh, to learn about. So very cool. Nice to meet you, Eric. Hello, I'm Richard. Uh, so I'm the creative director, kind of original. Uh, planner of this whole project uh as far as favorite game goes i want to say the most fun i've had era wise for role-playing games was probably the like 3.75 early pathfinder one era uh yeah i'm also real big into rules complexity which also <laughs> shows in our game uh yeah very cool i I, I have been primarily communicating with Richard, uh, setting up this whole interview, and so it's really great to hear his voice. When I was uh, when I was asking him to tell me about his team, he really reminded me of the of the leader of the A team. You just said that uh, that that you got a really great team together, and it just kind of reminded me of that line where he goes, "I love it when a plan comes together." Uh, so <laughs> it's uh, very nice to have you on, Richard. I'm very glad that you're here. Uh, next up is Anna. Um, I'm also a partner at Vault. Um, I've been doing a lot of the playtesting and then post Kickstarter, I'm looking forward to helping with logistics, making sure that we, we get stuff to people when we said we would get it to them. 
Um, in all honesty, my favorite tabletop RPG is Vault. Um, <laughs> that's maybe too cheesy. Uh, I'm also a pretty big fan of um, Gloomhaven, uh, which is less freeform, but still a lot of fun. Yeah. You gotta love what you do. I and uh, I I don't think it's cheesy at all. If if uh, the game you're working on just so happens to be your favorite as well, I I think it's very endearing. Uh, and then last up we have. Hi guys, my name is Zach. Um, I'm one of the lead monster designers and playtesters. Um, as far as the actual system goes, I'm kind of the guy behind the scenes, making sure all the monsters feel correct and actually work well within our rules. As far as my favorite role-playing game, I would probably have to say Call of Cthulhu's up there. Mm, yeah. I love any game that is very heavily story-driven, mm-hmm. um, and I've had a lot of fun in that game system. Very cool. Uh, is it as deadly as people say it is? Uh, probably more so, okay. depending <laughs> on how mean your GM is. Okay. Um, really just depends on who your GM is at the time. Well, Zach's very mean. Zach is very mean? <laughs> All right, well, that's not entirely true, but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a very fun system, and a lot of the monster design inspiration I've taken from that system as well, which has been pretty nice to kind of get that lethality and that uniqueness to the monsters. Very cool. Um, and it's yeah, uh, you have a very uh, imp- I think everybody has a very important job when it comes to the the game um, monster design, uh, especially where. Uh, that's everything that that your that your players are going to be facing, um, so very cool, very cool. Thank you for introducing yourselves and uh, thank you for being on the show once again. Um, I'd like to roll right in and get to the real meat of the interview. And uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about and and let you guys go into greater detail on is the uh, the story and the lore that you guys have come up with for the vault uh i did read the brief and it 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 was very fascinating it seemed very unique um kind of this uh this war-torn society with fey creatures and it it felt kind of cyberpunk with with like fairy tale creatures running around kind of reminded me of hellboy um a little bit, uh, and and call Cthulhu and Delta Green, um, but but it, it was also very very unique. Um, so I'd like to just kind of turn it over to you guys and uh, and whoever'd like to talk about this where the where the concept for the story and the setting came from would be excellent. Uh, so the initial concept was really just there had been a whole bunch of games that we all really enjoyed either from a lore perspective or a mechanical perspective and like each one of them felt like it was just kind of missing the uh, what the other ones had so a lot of our initial design kind of came from mashing all those things together figuring out what things we could use and which things whether we liked them or not just needed to go away and then Honestly, we built the system, and then we kind of built the world around the system, which is, I think, why they fit together as well as they do. A big thing that we wanted was our combats to feel very, very fast-paced. As far as how that interacted with the lore, uh, people just don't last very long in combat. If you're if you're fighting, you're going to, to either win very quickly or lose painfully. Um <laughs> I love it. I I really love it. <laughs> I know that there are a lot of people out there that do enjoy that that kind of lethality when it comes to combat. They like that that face that fast pace. 
combat. I know Pathfinder kind of can kind of struggle with with combat because you have a whole session uh, or or half a session or, or whatever that's just devoted to a fight. And the story, you know, sometimes doesn't move because you're you're just fighting. Um, and so spent three weeks of game time in one combat. <laughs> exactly so. in a combat in that in the game lasts two minutes. So right. <laughs> yeah. So that's very that's very cool to hear. Um, and then as far as like the very basic concept of the lore, everyone's playing a mercenary. They all have access to an Uber-like app called Vault. They pick up a job. They go meet the person who was going to give out the job. The money for that job has already been loaded into the Vault system. So as soon as you've completed that job, you get paid. There's no getting screwed by your by your employer. <laughs> and then um. You go out and do these crazy missions that no one else would have been willing to do in this world. Yeah, our world is pretty interesting. Uh, we had a great idea to have the Fae arrive um, right around this decade and tear open portals into the world uh, after they had kind of been kicked out a long time ago during the Iron Age. And they come back, but they've been twisted from their exile in a different planes, different dimensions, different spaces that they've had to run away to. Now they burst back, they're kind of looking for revenge, they chew up the planet, and um, humanity, we do what we can, we blow up the ice caps, there's a lot of uh, flooding and crazy volcanics, <laughs> and uh, humanity has to migrate back into mega cities, and we're all kind of stuck in these big... A uh, couple of residences, while the rest of the lands reclaimed by nature and other fouler things, and we get a whole cast of different species that arrive, uh, both through what we call the Fey Tide, which was the event that brought them here, and uh, through the various encounters such as the AI War that comes later, and all the things that have led up to why there is a vault system, why these mega corps now rule these cities in their councils of five and um, how you get along every day as your average merc trying to make do compared to the corpo grunt who's <laughs> stuck working for the same people forever. <laughs> I think uh, that's very true to, true to real life. Uh, um, one thing I really enjoyed about the Fae that you brought into your, into your lore is that you, you kind of stuck tr stuck true to that the their like their mythology and how the fae tend to be these tricksters i remember reading that in the in the brief and i just thought that was such a great a great thing that you brought into your game as well yeah we've got uh, a bunch of monsters uh related to fae entities mm -hmm. we've got the fae courts in the ether which are kind of more aerial, more the graceful, uh, benign fey, and the ebb, which tend to be the more sea-dwelling, more underwater, kind of the darker winterer court of fey, uh, that really hold the grudge against humanity. Uh, so we've got both of those kind of factions, both trying to find a good spot, and, uh, you know, they have their own little quarrels and quibbles, so I'm sure there'll be vault contracts people can experience from both of them, uh, along with all the different corpse and the different, uh, uh, you know, benefactors that play a role in all those uh, different things. We've decided to kind of call our folks that you get jobs from uh, uh, patrons, um, almost like the website. Oh, yeah. <laughs> P 
patrons. <laughs> Very nice. Um, you you were talking about the different uh, races or species that exist in this world. You talked about the humans, the the Feyborn, um, the AI, um, and uh, and you might have mentioned the elves. Uh, and I'm assuming that those are all playable uh, playable races. Uh, are there any others that people might be able to look forward to? Uh, to getting to flesh out a character with. Yeah. Um, one of the bigger ones we have is the Changeling, um, which are kind of a, a tougher group, and they're able to mimic people's faces and mm. uh, appearances and such. Um, they also have great abilities like swapping places with people. They're very trickstery. Ooh. We also have the Engineered Organic Soldiers, or the EOS, who came about during the AI war, and they are big, tough fighters who can regenerate from terrible wounds, and they'll have a pretty interesting appearance once we've kind of got that sussed out. And uh, they tend to be the frontline folks. And then we also have dwarves, uh, your standard uh, strong, powerful, wise, good at building stuff uh, types. Very cool. It sounds like a very interesting, uh, interesting cast of characters uh, and and playable species that that you can that you can all bring to the table. Just uh, one more note: the changelings are actually one of the only fake things that stayed here in our world from the Iron Age through to the fake coming back. So they're actually they've been uh, poisoned by iron being so prevalent in the world and they're actually the worst at doing the magical things while still being the best at being tricksy. They sound uh, like they'd make really great spies as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Just the ability to change their appearance and look like somebody else. They sound like mm-hmm. uh they sound like you could have some really great uh intrigue heavy uh sessions with with some changelings. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely what we were going for there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, this is a question that uh, I think is important anytime you, you make a tabletop RPG, but what is magic like in this world? Yeah, so it's, from a gameplay perspective, very, very easy. Mm-hmm. You get a few points, you spend those points on whatever spell you want, you can do that every turn. You don't run out of spell slots, you don't have to memorize particular spells, you just have so much magic power that you generate every turn, and you can use it every turn. Wow. Um, and we've kind of balanced around that. Mm-hmm. In world, it is uh, a a new form of energy that has flooded back into the world when the Fey Tide happened. Okay. So it is now measurable. It is like magnetism or radiation or anything else. It's a real thing that happens and gets manipulated in all sorts of ways. The only real thing that we did was is we we kept the fantasy cyberpunk concept of technology and the magic don't get along so well. Okay. So you probably won't see too many people loading themselves up with like cyberware and throwing fireballs. Okay. That that was a question I had when when you were talking about magic um that uh in when I play Starfinder it 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 seems to be a little bit difficult because Ma- to do a like a cyberpunk game because there's so much magic in the world and I think you made an excellent point by saying that that in your game you kind of separate the two and whereas in in like Starfinder people can can like uber enhance their weapons with spells and 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 then you have these like really high fantasy spells that that are just thrown around um 
that uh, that make it a little bit more difficult for some reason to run a more of a true cyberpunk game. Um, and so I think I think that that separation of the two uh, lends lends more to to uh, a better cyberpunk game, and that's something I'm always for. Um, cyberpunk is one of my favorite genres. Um, what, uh, what, what, uh, what, what in your world is, is very cyberpunk? You talked about the mega corporations and how everybody's playing a mercenary, which is very cyberpunk. What else, what other elements in your world lean on that genre? We have a pretty robust, uh, hacking system Ooh. that should be pretty easy for GMs to flow up, throw out on the fly and then for the players to solve in a way mm. that doesn't bog down a combat or make them feel like they're not participating or like there, there is no man in the van in our game. You are in there in the action with everybody else. Cool. There's a lot of hacking going on. We also have these hacking assistant programs, which are almost like a spell use for our hackers. They let them do special effects either when they're hacking terminals or other machines like drones or cyborgs or uh, vehicles or things like that. Very cool. I do enjoy a good hacking mechanic. Can you do hacking on the fly? Can could you could you feasibly like if you were if you were in the middle of combat, could you do hacking in the middle of a combat? Yeah, we actually have both a mechanic for attacking a opponent with hacking and our hacking system is built so that uh, it occurs during combat turns. So the hacking character might spend some of his action hacking into the terminal that they need to get out the hard drive and at the same time control some drones or uh, fire their weapon or do something else that participates in the combat as well. Um, and then all of the little actions you do uh, come back to uh, a very... The, and the hacking works very similar to combat, where there's an enemy and they have a certain amount of defense and you're trying to get over it to do damage to them, and accomplishing that will get you certain benefits. And, and you face certain peril on some hacks where they can actually hit, damage you or lock you out or uh, even... Uh, there's some mind control somewhere that we've buried in the more difficult ones, but <laughs> yeah. uh, there's some stuff like that. That sounds very cool. Um, Very... It sounds like a very cool mechanic, something that hasn't, and as far as the games I've played, something I haven't seen a whole lot of. Um, hacking tends to be more, I want information, so I'm going to spend an hour on this computer trying to get said information. I need the map for this building, so same thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop the story for a little bit to get the map of this building, but it's, it sounds very unique that you're able to use it against your adversaries, and at the same time, there is a threat to you if if they turn the tides back on you. So very cool. Um, the the story and the lore just sound very unique. I'm very impressed by what by with what you guys have come up with. I wanted to get into a little bit more of the mechanical side, and I think this is a great segue where you were you were talking about the the hacking. Um, and, I, and my first question I'd like like to ask is. Is what what system is this? What's your primary die? Um, I know some some use playing cards. Others have uh, specific items that are that are key to the the system that they're playing in. What is your system like? So we're mostly two d six based. 
Um, and by mostly, I mean the only other options are a couple more D6s. Okay. <laughs> we really wanted to try to maintain some kind of uh, mathematical curve so that you had some expectation as to how good you should be at something. Mm-hmm. Um, everything kind of hinges off of that. Mechanically, the couple of things that I think really stand out for us are... Uh, our dodge mechanic is huge. Mm -hmm. You basically have, uh, to use D&D terms, two different armor classes. And you have so many dodges to decide which one of those two armor classes you're going to use. So you kind of have to be paying attention to the battle. That isn't going to take very long anyways, but you really kind of need to be focused as to where those attacks are going and how many dodges there are. When a game, a game master doesn't ask what your armor class is, they ask, would you like to dodge? Oh, okay. Um, and that causes a lot of tension in the, will this attack connect or not? And then we have an entirely different stat to determine how much damage you actually take from that attack. Mm -hmm. Um, but everything is roll 2d6, add a number, compare. That's how our skills work, that's how our attacks work, that's how damage works, that's how everything works. Keep so it we get simple, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the other big thing, uh, is we have a fate mechanic. Uh, it's a little bit similar to if you're going to try to just get it as relatable for as many people as possible to lucky. Everyone has lucky in fifth edition. Okay. Um, so everyone has some, so you have some options to make sure that you're actually good at this thing that you need to be good at when you need to be good at it. Uh, but or it's a very yourself out if you're on fire. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um so it's a it's a really limited resource but it gives players a lot more agency to like know that this is the thing they need to be responsible for in this mission in order for it to go off without a hitch very cool um i it sounds like it sounds like there's a lot of engagement at the table um because that's that's the most important thing sometimes i feel like when you're in these long combats people tend to check out till it's their turn and having that, building that tension and making people engaged is is a difficult thing to do, I've found, uh, just as a GM. Um, and it sounds like you guys are working towards having, having a lot of engagement, uh, even when people aren't doing anything, necessarily. Yeah, that's been one of the biggest things Richard has tried to infuse in the game, is that you should be kind of paying attention even when it's not your turn so that you know what's happening during the mm -hmm. fight. Yeah, that has always been a big challenge. <laughs> no matter what group I'm playing with, it always seems like it comes around to that person's turn and then they go, oh, wait, what happened the last three turns? I didn't, and then I actually didn't decide what I wanted to do. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take another like five minutes to decide what spell I'm going to cast and I'm totally throwing shade at all of my players. So if any of you are listening, take notes that I want you to be more engaged at the table. Uh, <laughs> but but it sounds it sounds really great. Is there anything else you guys like would like to add as far as mechanics go? I think Richard, you should talk about the full auto system. Yeah, uh, full auto is uh, anybody who's played any cyberpunk one of the hardest things to get at all right um, and not make it take 15 minutes to resolve. Uh, yeah, we're talking about machine guns and, oh, okay. and, and rapid-fire weapons, yeah. Okay. Uh, and we put a lot of thought into trying to get it as quick and feel like full auto as possible. So those weapons have like two different damage entries, and you decide whether you want to do your 
spread out and shoot as many people as possible or just put every single bullet into somebody. And each of those have some pretty easy to figure out penalties that you can um, fix up by customizing your weapons. By the way, all of our weapons are customizable. Oh, yeah. Uh, with really long lists of customizations. Um, also, our armors work that way. Great. Uh, also, our drones, also our vehicles. Everything, everything has a lot of customiz customization options. Are the um, are the uh, the characters themselves customizable? Do you have uh, cybernetic implants at all? Oh yeah. Oh good. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, as for the uh, full auto system itself, there's a whole bunch of different things that you can do to kind of adjust how it works. A bunch of abilities that you can take, but it usually boils down to I roll my 2d6, add my number, compare it to everyone I am shooting at, whoever it managed to hit based on who dodged and who didn't, they take a simplified number of damage, or I blast the hell out of somebody, see if it hits, we roll that damage. Um, but it shouldn't be referencing a bunch of charts mm -hmm. or figuring out how many hits you got or anything along those lines. It's just roll and, and uh, you now have different options for how you're actually going to deliver that damage. That's a mechanic I am not very familiar with. I don't think I've any I've ever played any games with a full auto mechanic. So um, that's the first time I've heard about anything like that. Is it is it uh, in a lot of games? Um, I would say as soon as you start getting into the cyberpunk fantasy genre, mm -hmm. not fantasy, um, sci-fi genre, they they pick up in commonness. Okay. The problem is is that most people don't want to read the three pages of rules necessary to actually fire those weapons. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like we're, we're trying to make that as simple as we possibly can because sometimes it's, re it's really cool to have your giant machine gun and start blasting down dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on... Because it, it, uh, in a world like that, in, uh, and like you said, you, you started your lore in, in this decade... Um, it's it's natural to assume that those weapons would exist, and so it's it's great that you're that you're making it a mechanic that people are actually going to use too, because that's also kind of sad when you when you get a a game and you start playing this game and you're in love with it, but there's a few things that excite you, but they just get too complicated for a more casual player. Um, and and so I I think it's great that you're that you're finding a way to make it. Uh, easily accessible and easily easy easy to play at the table as well. That's that's very that's very cool. Um, I wanted to uh, move on from the system now and talk about uh, the art, the art itself. Um, I I got to see a few pictures as well uh, in the brief, um, and Alex. Uh, is the artist of the group, and I, I would like to uh, let you take a moment and and discuss uh, where your inspiration for a lot of these uh, these wonderful pieces of art come from. Um, maybe how long you've been an artist. I think that's always fun. Uh, like it, what training you might have received if you're self-taught. But yes, I will turn the interview over to uh, Alex. Sure. Yeah. Um... So I, I think I'll start with uh, the the actual artist behind a lot of the images we're putting out on Twitter. Our, our characters so far uh, is the wonderful Ollie Boldador. Uh, so 
I, I believe we tend to link his accounts and things, so you can definitely reach out to him. Okay. Um, so, so those characters are definitely his, and he's done a great job for us. Uh, where I come in is is kind of managing the overall direction of assembling his stuff and our stuff and making sure it all works together. Uh, but I am an artist. Um, I have been doing art, I guess, forever. Uh, but that adds up to, unfortunately, somewhere around 25 years now. Um, I, uh, I went to art school. Um, I dropped out of art school. I got a real job, as my parents would say. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, but I never stopped doing art. Yeah. Uh, and, and I definitely never stopped being a part of gaming, mm -hmm. uh, Magic the Gathering, and Warhammer 40k, and like we said, Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. uh, now now Vault. Um, also, I'd like to change my earlier answer to my favorite RPG is Vault. Oh. I, I feel yeah. like I missed that. <laughs> good, I, I good, just, good. You know, <laughs> Um, but uh yeah it's uh it's it's been fun bringing kind of uh, the artistic side to the game uh it's it's not a way that a lot of people think uh and it's it's fun seeing these problems come up that are related to art and hearing how everybody would approach it and it's always the exact opposite of what i would do oh. uh, so it's, it's been fun um Art but. is always such a great thing when you get a new book. I always, I, whenever I get a new book, I, 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 I'm usually at the store, and so, and so I get the book, and and then, and I just, I just want to see all the pretty pictures, and so, and so I think that is is such a, to me, it, it seems like it would be a, a tough job. Uh, there, I, is there a lot of pressure? Uh, on, do you, do you ever feel like there's a lot of pressure on you? I. Not on me specifically, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I think you're right. Getting the art right is mm -hmm. such a big deal. Uh, we definitely have a lot of conversations about making sure we're hitting the right look for everything. Yeah. Um, especially when you're melding all of these genres, right? If you're hard yeah. sci-fi, you get sharp, pointy silver things, and <laughs> you're kind of nailing it. And you're doing fantasy, you pull out the dragons, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But kind of riding that line has definitely been interesting. Uh, and... Uh, uh, again, I I can't say enough about Ollie. He's he's doing a great job bringing that to life for us. Do you, and so, do you handle uh, most of the layout in the book itself? Yeah. So okay. thus thus far, uh, my biggest actual project has been we have uh, monsters are uh, in a deck of cards. They exist Ooh. as cards, and um, they they are, are playable, basically, so that a, a GM can quickly pick out a monster. He doesn't have to be referencing the book. He just has it here. There's an image of the monster for the players to see. None of the rules are revealed, um, but he has all the rules to, to relate to on the one side. Mm. So my big project has been basically the interface of those cards, making sure all of the data is, is legible and, and looks really cool. Uh, we've got it set up now to look kind of like a computer readout. Uh, cool. Uh, of all the, the necessary info. Very cool. When you guys sent over the brief, I also saw that uh, that you were you were working on incorporating those cards with the GM screen itself. You sent me a picture of the of the prototype, and it was brilliant. Um, I my my mouth went open when I saw it, and I go, oh, I wish more games did stuff like this. Um, to, but tell 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 me a little bit more about that. Where did that Where did the idea for that and the cards come from? That would be me. Okay. Um, 
there I just we I don't generally run with the GM screen. I usually like to roll my dice out in front of my players so that they know okay. that their their fates are are just as sealed as the monsters are. Okay. Um but uh when I was thinking about like which aspects of a GM screen I really wish I had available to me, the rules references on the back that some of the games Pathfinder in particular really nails when they lay out all that stuff. Mm-hmm really impressed me and i always felt like i don't know if you've had this experience but whenever i i see like really cool art for a monster i really want that art to get into my players brains Mm -hmm. so i'll end up putting my hand kind of over top of all of the rules and then trying to like show that around the table Mm -hmm. and my idea was is what if that art was just independent of the rules but like still easy to get a hold of uh, so we decided to do a double-sided card that has all of the art on one side and all of the rules on the other side, and the GM screen has uh, window panels in it so that you can slide that card into the GM screen, and the players are seeing the art for the thing that they're fighting the entire time, and the player, the game master rather, uh, has access to all of the rules associated with that monster. They don't have to look up anything in a different book, find anything else. Everything about that monster is contained on that tarot-sized card. Um, and anything that that card needs to like reference to a different thing will be on that rules reference on the GM screen. It is absolutely brilliant. I am so in love with this. <laughs> I agree. I think I, I, I love to show the, the, the players around the table, the artwork, and I've gotten to uh, where I just have a, a monitor up that I will, I'll just load my Google Drive with pictures, and I'll, I'll put it up on the monitor for everybody to see that, so that they can get this visual representation of what they're, what they're fighting. It's always, it's always fun to let their imaginations run as well. And sometimes I'll ask them what, uh, you know, what did they think that creature looks like? But if you're really trying to get, uh, like specific details of a creature. Uh, down. Sometimes it's hard to describe that, and and you you can just show them the picture. Um, and so the idea of putting it on the on the screen, as well as the rules on the other side, everything serves a purpose with it. It's it's fantastic, and I'm I'm like a hundred percent in love with it. I think it's the greatest idea ever. <laughs> so, uh, kudos kudos to you for creating such a cool idea. Um. I uh I wanted to uh wrap up the the interview and let you got let you guys all just kind of talk about what you what you hope to see in the in the future of the project. I wanted to let uh Shoshana talk about what it takes to be a a project manager for doing something like this because I think I think most of my friends have backed a Kickstarter uh, but there's, I, I imagine that there is so much that goes into something like that, as well as getting something like this uh, off the ground and publishing it in people's hands. And so I'd, I'd love to talk to you guys about uh, future plans that you have. I've been doing a lot of looking ahead at, at what life after Kickstarter will be like. Uh, my day job is as a project manager. So looking ahead at, well, how long does it take to get the rest of the art made and how long does it take to get things manufactured and the global supply chain's a little disrupted now so <laughs> what yeah. are the trade-offs between getting it 
made in China and then hoping we can get it shipped to America versus getting it <laughs> yes. made here in America and, you know, maybe foregoing some of the plastic bits that can't mm -hmm. really be made so easily here. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a lot of fun doing that research and, and talking to other folks who have done Kickstarters to learn about that process. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that part of the project. It sounds like a lot of work. Uh, uh, so I, I commend you for that. Um, I, I work with project managers in, in my day job, and I always, uh, whenever they explain their job to me, I always get a headache. So I, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think you have a very full plate. You're also a play tester as well, right? Um, I actually had a, a comment from earlier, if I can. Mm -hmm. um, you had asked about one of the things that makes us a, a cyberpunk game. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the defining characteristics of sci-fi and cyberpunk is the social commentary that making us think about okay. the world that we live in. Yep. <laughs> and one of the things I really like about Vault is... Um, we expect people to have a little bit of like financial desperation. So we actually have a downtime system where it costs money to exist. Your, <laughs> your food and your rent and your ammunition cost money and, and you don't have to track all that stuff in an annoying way. It's much simpler, mm -hmm. but, but the concept that like there's an opportunity cost to just resting for a while and that should encourage you to go out and get more work or it's going to cost money to heal those injuries that you got when you got shot last week, um, I think really makes for a interesting world. Yes. Uh, it, the, the adage, um, you live to work and you work to live, uh, really comes to mind when you talk about that. So that, that sounds very cool as well. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you guys in the play testing that you've done. Um, this this might be a funny a funny topic. Uh, what has been a a moment where somebody broke the game that that you didn't see coming when you were making those mechanics that that just all made you kind of laugh? Uh, well, I think one of one of my favorites, and this was kind of this was a while ago when we were first developing uh, vampires in our system, but. Um, we were playing it out. It was super fun mission up to that point. Um, and I was, and this is kind of one of the, the crazier parts about designing monsters alongside playing in the system, is you kind of know everything that the monster does while, you're, while your party's playing it out. So, you know, just sitting there kind of going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, why are you guys <laughs> doing this? But we got to the end of the mission where this vampire had basically taken my character and we had gotten into a little, basically, grappling match, and um, my character at the time was not anywhere even remotely close to wanting to be in that type of a position, but the party was kind of chatting with this individual as they were, as uh, the vampire was beating up on me, and I was like, come on, guys, let's go. Let's, how about we wrap this up, please? This is getting expensive quickly, but um, I think there's, as far as the system goes, there's so many fun designs that you can do as far as characters are concerned and that's that's been the struggle at the moment has been finding those broken moments right mm -hmm. so we've you know we'll come out with a new idea as far as a, a build for a character goes whether it's heavy cybernetic or a special type of mage or even somebody who doesn't want anything to do with either of those which is also a very viable option in this system but there's you know 
for those who play the Pathfinders who want to get those very intricate designs for their characters, it's an option, as well as the players who just say, I really want a big machine gun, or I want a big sword, and I just want to be that individual. Yeah. Um, those those options are there. And it's it's been, as far as game-breaking stuff, it's always been something that we catch up on. Someone reads a rule, and then they see an interaction, and they're like, oh, well... I'm going to do this for a session and then we're going to see how everybody feels about it. So it's been a lot of give and take as far as the rules writing goes. Um, and it's, it's been an interesting way to see the system as far as the monster side goes, given that, you know, we see it when we're GMing games, when we're able to see those monster stats, but being the ones who are actually designing that, that's been a very, uh, a very interesting and fun experience to play around with. Uh, one of our other design philosophies in making classes and characters and monsters is that uh, I think Richard put it best in saying if everything is broken nothing is broken <laughs> so uh, we often have combinations that are far stronger than others uh, in combat or in the roleplay parts or whatever else is happening but we balance that against how lethal everything should be kind of in our you know modern future setting and so, like, the guy using two pistols all of a sudden got way too good as a sniper instead of actually using a sniper rifle. Or Thank you, the yeah. uh, mage who could uh, command, like, five uh, wolves as a shaman uh, was just had too much action economy. Or the, mm -hmm. the drone rigger who was uh, poisoning everyone to death because their tick drones had so many poison uses and could infinitely reload them and things like that. So okay. we've, ha we've had a lot of those like, Oh God, what did we do about this moment? Yeah. Um, but it, everything's scary enough that we're fighting against, whether that be another team or a big Prince of the Fae or werewolves or vampires or a terrifying scrapyard that's attacking us at, um, even if things kind of break it and uh, don't quite work the way we intended them to work, there's always a pretty good balance on the other side of them. Very cool. I wanted to ask, Zach, what's been your favorite monster to create so far? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> as from, a, from a design perspective, I mean, I'm... I would always say the vampires and the kind of the tree we went there. I was very happy with that. Um, one of, I think one of my personal favorites is this group of entities um, we've called the, the Harbingers, which we've been actually working very hard on at the moment. And the, the, the general concept is you have your pawns, your bishops, your knights, your rooks, that kind of stuff. Um, and it's, it's been very interesting uh, to kind of play around with that mechanic and kind of tying them into where their names come from with this, you know, concept of chess-style combat. Um, and that's that's been a ton of fun to play around with, especially writing their, their spells and that kind of stuff, just to make them feel very unique within the system and the, the ways they can adjust the action economy of players and how they can play around with movement or fate, that kind of stuff. It's been very fun to play around with that. They're they're, they're a very interesting monster that I'm very excited to, to read and hear about how GMs play them in their games. Very cool. Yeah, they're very eldritch horror and uh, spooky, and uh, they kicked our butts a lot of times. It, the whole game just seems very 
uh, unique to me. It sounds like you've taken a bunch of of genres and and mashed them together. And at first, at first, it might. I mean, you might think like, oh, all these genres. This doesn't seem like they would all work together. But you guys have just done such a great job at bringing. Uh, key elements from the different genres and tying it together in a way that that makes it work, makes it sound interesting, very fun, and at the same time, just made what sounds to be a very approachable game as well. Um, this this sounds like a game I would I would totally show to to somebody that's that's either getting into the hobby or or has maybe played a couple sessions and they haven't quite landed on on it, and I'd be like, hey, let's try this one out. Let's see if if this one sticks and you enjoy this one. This sounds like a, a game I'd love to to show a lot of my newer friends as well. Um, I am absolutely thrilled uh, to follow you guys on, on Twitter. I'm so excited to see where things go and, and where you guys take this, and I will be there day one on that Kickstarter. So uh, when, when that happens, you'll, you'll see me in the, in the pledges. Um, I wanted to wrap up and let you guys, um, I'll let Richard, uh, where can people find you on the internet? TeamRexGames.com is our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is getting pretty good at this point. We've still got a few more things we want to add. Uh, we're planning on there being a pretty big gallery for the art, and probably very soon a blog kind of talking about a bunch of our design philosophy and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, but for now, you can see a bunch of the different corporations that are going to be big players, get a little bit of information about us, and um, definitely see the character art that's coming along. And by the end of the month, we plan on there being an actual demo of our game to play, where you get to experience our new boss system, where you're actually picking the location that you're attacking and using that information to decide which weapons you want to disable in what order and all those kinds of things. Uh, So we're very excited to be getting that off, and all you have to do is give us our email address, and you'll get that demo. (laughs) Um, And um, and then on Twitter is our other biggest presence. We we have some stuff on Facebook, and it's about to start getting a lot bigger. Um, but Vault RPG on Twitter is definitely our uh, primary communication at the moment. Perfect. I will make sure to include all of the links to the website and Twitter uh, and in the description of the episode. So make sure that you guys listening at home, you check out those links, you check out their website, you give them a little bit of love. And uh, if this interests you at all, uh, definitely try out the demo. I know, I know that that would be a huge help. I assume it would be a huge help to you guys to actually get people playing it and giving you feedback on it. I'm assuming that's what the demo is for. Well, that and showing people what they might be buying someday. Okay, we, we yeah. Much rather people, um, <laughs> we don't we don't think any one game will fit every single person. Mm-hmm. But if if they have fun during the demo, they're really going to enjoy the full game. So we want those people. Good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a showcase of your product. Um, yeah. So, uh, and you said that'll be coming out in the next month. Yes. Okay. Very cool. I look forward to that as well. I wanted to thank you guys all for being such incredible guests. This has been an absolute blast. And like I said, I'm very excited to see where things go to try out that demo. Um, and uh, and I wish you guys all all the luck in the world. With this, it, it seems like a big undertaking, but I can tell that there's a lot of love and a lot of passion for the project. You guys sound like a great team. Um, uh, uh, 
you all seem to enjoy working with each other as well, uh, which which is great. Um, uh, and like I said, just looking forward to everything you guys have coming out in the future. And uh, once again, links in the description to check them out on the internet. And I will see all of you in the next interview. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Come with me and you'll see All the junk we stash behind the curtain There is no word I know In this world that rhymes with curtain I'm fairly certain